Happy Wednesday, everybody. Welcome into Mining Stock Daily. We have a corporate introduction here with U.S. Gold Corp. And the original founder of the company, Mr. Ed Carr, U.S. Gold Corp. does trade on the NASDAQ with USAU. Before we get into my conversation with Ed, just a real quick look at the numbers this Wednesday. As gold is trading down despite the private employment numbers uh, not hitting actually half of what expectations were via the ADP, uh, gold is trading down to 18.11. Silver, on the other hand, is up, uh, outperforming the precious metals with $24.17. The miners per the GDX and the GDXJ are also trading down after a nice move yesterday. Uh, so we're going to talk some macro development here with Ed here momentarily, but first we got to get a conversation with him uh, regarding U.S. Gold Corp. Ed, welcome to the podcast. It's good to have you on for the first time. Thanks, Trevor. Great to be here. Uh, you are the founder of U.S. Gold Corp. Uh, there has been some transitions, some project transitions as well, refocusing over the last uh, year or two, I guess you could say, uh, structural changes into the corporate structures of the company as well. Uh, mm -hmm. So I guess we should probably start with the 30,000 foot view of U.S. Gold Corp. And I'll leave, leave it to you to get that going. Sure, be happy to. And thanks so much for having us. So U.S. Gold Corp, Trevor, as you mentioned, uh, U.S. publicly traded company on the NASDAQ, symbol USAU, gold exploration development company. Today, we have four projects in the company. And we founded this company back in February of 2014 with the acquisition of our flagship project. That's the CK Gold Project in Wyoming. Uh, on all state of Wyoming ground. Uh, that project does have a historic PEA. It's what originally attracted us to the project. That PEA shows about 1.1 million ounces MII gold, 300 million pounds of MII copper. It's a gold copper uh, deposit, comes right up to surface, has a nice higher grade center uh, with a lower grade halo surrounding that. And we're pushing that project forward right now towards a pre-feasibility study. And then uh, we're doing a lot of work here the summer of 2021 to get that to a full feasibility study. But we, we think we'll be able to file a mine plan permit and push that into production. So a lot of work going on there. Our other three exploration projects, we have two in Nevada. Keystone is located on the Cortez trend, just about 10 miles south of Barracks Cortez Hills complex. And Maggie Creek is located on the Carlin trend, right next door to Newmont's pretty massive gold quarry mine. And our final uh, exploration project is the Chalice Gold Project in Idaho, uh, about 40 clicks outside of Salmon. So those are the four projects in the company. The one other uh, pretty big update that happened that you kind of alluded to, Trevor, in the last year is August of last year. So it's been just over a year now. Uh, we brought on our current president and CEO. Uh, as you mentioned, I was the founder of the company, uh, very involved. But my background, I'm not a mine engineer. Uh, I'm much more of a capital markets professional, been on lots of boards and have started lots of companies. So last year, I approached a gentleman named George B., very senior mining industry veteran. I like to say George B. is the Tom Brady of mining. You know, he's a winner. Uh, he's won a lot of mining Super Bowls, Had a, has a 40-year career, 16 of those with Barrick. Uh, he was actually the mine manager at Gold Strike. So that's the big major mine in Nevada that really made Barrick what it is today. And um, George has put a lot of projects around this planet into production. 
So I reached out to him. He was in semi-retirement, Park City, Utah, living the good life and enjoying the powder skiing. And I said, George, come take a look at our CK Gold Project in Wyoming. And when he did, Trevor, he was really excited. He's got an incredible Rolodex, a lot of people in the industry. He brought in a couple of consultants. And um, at these current metal prices, you know, $1,800 gold and uh, four plus, you know, $4.36 copper, the economics on the CK Gold project looked very attractive. So George told me, he said, Ed, this is a project whose time has come. We can really push this forward into production. And I said, George, God bless. That is music to my ears. Here you go. I'm going to pass the baton to you. So I gave up the president and CEO role, brought George on as our president and CEO, and he's been pushing the whole company forward since. Been a lot of activity. And uh, like I say, this pre-feasibility study coming out in the next couple of weeks will be a big, big, big catalyst for us. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. So in regards to the management changes, so you are actually now classified as a consultant with the company. Can you describe the nature of the relationship now as a consultant with the company you did found? Sure. So I was, after I passed the um, uh, president CEO to George B, I stayed on the board. And, um, but then I stepped down from the board, uh, I believe end of March, early April uh, of this year. And I am a consultant, still one of the bigger shareholders in the company. So I own all my stock, uh, not selling any at all, and um, really involved helping the company a lot from a capital markets perspective, you know, looking at uh, not only press releases and presentations, but capital raises, a lot of industry conversations with other strategics out there. There. And that really allows George B to be very focused on the day-to-day -day technical advancement of the projects, specifically the CK Gold Project in Wyoming. When you founded the company, you went straight for a listing on the NASDAQ, and that rarely happens. Can you tell me why you went straight to a U.S.-only big board listing instead of you know, going through a venture exchange listing? and an OTC or even a, you know, an updated OTC type of listing. What, what was the purpose of doing this? Sure. And really, the Trevor, the reason was I was on the board of another NASDAQ listed company. It was actually a technology company called DataRam based in Princeton, New Jersey. And they, as their, their ticker symbol, DRAM implies, they had um, microchips for, for data storage and performance, you know, the computer industry. And they did a, a fair amount of gross revenues, but the margins were very, very thin in that business. Two 800 pound gorillas there are Samsung and uh, Micron. They were duking it out for marking share, just kind of uh, dumping supply on the market, a real commodity driven industry as well. And so the board of DataRam and especially the independent directors knew that we needed to do something. You know, the the um, the company wasn't even covering publicly traded uh, costs each year. Had to raise money. Was getting very dilutive, and um, so we looked around at a couple different opportunities. I had founded U.S. Gold Corp. It was a private company at the time, and uh, this getting now into 2015, 2016. So. I said to the board of DataRam, I said, look guys, I think the time is right now for the gold industry, the gold exploration industry, maybe we should consider merging in US Gold Corp. 
So I naturally had to recuse myself from those uh, negotiations. Dataram set up a special committee. U.S. Gold Corp set up a special committee. They got to evaluation that seemed to make sense for all sides. And we actually merged the private U.S. Gold Corp into Dataram which was listed on the NASDAQ, obviously, as a technology company. So we picked up the NASDAQ listing, we changed the name of the company to US Gold Corp, and then we had this technology subsidiary. So we went out, we got a fairness opinion on that just to see what it was worth, and we ultimately disposed of that and paid a nice dividend to all of the legacy shareholders. So, it, and I just want to clarify, so the, this data ramp, uh, it sounded like the burn rate was pretty high, cash flow was nil, if not, if if any. And so you merge in an exploration company, which is all those things all the time, no matter what type of company you are, you know, you spend more money than you ring in. There is no cash flow right now. And what was the what is the benefit of doing that? Because I would think going to the NASDAQ, going to the big board, your GNA for an exploration company has got to be some of the highest in the entire industry. I'm just assuming. Yeah, it is certainly more expensive to be listed on the NASDAQ than listed on some of the exchanges up in Canada, without a doubt. And I've been on the board of lots of Canadian companies, so I, I know the numbers very well. Lawyers are more expensive. The exchange is more expensive. DNO insurance is prohibitively more expensive in the United States. Um, we, as U.S. Gold Corp., as a private company, we had raised $12 million privately. So we had a good cash balance. And the real um, uh, carrot or objective, you know, of going on a big listing like the NASDAQ is the idea that we'll get a lot of liquidity. It can open us up to a huge, you know, audience of investors for future capital raises. U.S. Gold Corp. right now, it trades the stock above $5 a share. So that's very, very important. In the United States, if your stock is below $5 a share, you can be classified as a technical penny stock. So a lot of the big institutions, the big brokers, they cannot invest in penny stocks just for compliance. And that almost excludes the entire Canadian and Australian capital markets. Mm -hmm. So we had looked at that NASDAQ listing that, hey, this company can be very, very valuable. Unfortunately, Trevor, as you and your listeners know, we went public you know, in 2017 and it hasn't been you know, a straight up sort of gold market that a lot of us in the industry would anticipate and hope for. Um, we had COVID, now we've had you know, uh, the, the regular stock market, the big NASDAQ and technology stocks booming. And the whole gold uh, mining and exploration industry has really been you know, beat up pretty badly. We're trading down closer to 52-week lows and highs. But I personally believe that this is going to change, that this sector will see a big inflow of assets, a big inflow of money. And when that does, I'm very, very confident that our NASDAQ listing will be a real value add for us. Was that kind of $5 floor for the NASDAQ, the reason the company needed to go back and do that reverse split in the share in the, in the shares? That was exactly it. Yeah, okay. we received a uh, notification from NASDAQ that we had fallen below. Uh, on NASDAQ, there is a $1 minimum bid requirement for continued listing. And the company met every other requirement, had independent directors, had plenty of net shareholder equity. 
So it was really just a stock price. And at that point, the board decided that a share consolidation could get that stock price up, probably be in the best interest. And also just to have a, have a tight float. You know, we only have in the whole company right now, just about 7.1 million shares of common. And of those 7.1 million shares, Trevor, management insiders own and a couple of key select shareholders about 25%. So the real float in this company is only about 4.4 million shares. Yeah, it's 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 really tight. It's incredibly tight. Can you, where is the what's the cash balance now for US Gold Corp and what what's the kitty like? Our last public filing was April 30th. We're on an April 30 uh fiscal year end. So that was our 10K, which came out around mid-July. We showed a 13.6 million US dollar cash balance. There's no debt in the company today. Obviously, we've been spending, and we've been spending pretty heavily since then uh, because we are in the midst of our summer uh, field program right now in Wyoming. So we've got a core rig uh, out in our CK Gold project. We're also, we have an RC rig, and we're probably going to deploy a second core rig. So we're going to have three rigs, you know, drilling in Wyoming, and that's mm -hmm. when a lot of the, the money gets spent. Um, we will be filing our 10Q right now, uh, which is through um, uh, the end of August, and that is due September, I think it's due by September 15th. So in the next two weeks, you know, you'll see a new filing out there, and I'm not exactly sure what cash balance is. I imagine we're probably, sure. you know, 10, 11 million, something like that on this filing. Okay. So uh, 10 million, let's, let's just be... Let's Let's stay conservative and we'll say we'll keep it 12, 13 million. Uh, you know, how, how far does this get you? You've got drilling taking place uh, in Wyoming, uh, obviously salaries to take care of uh, and a PFS that's in the works, which is not cheap. How long does this the, does this cash in the bank take you until you have to go back to the market and raise? Yeah, and a couple of good points to, to focus on there. Number one, the PFS, all of the PFS spending has already been accounted for. Okay. So those bills are paid, it's already in the accounts. Um, really, it's just the finalization of that document now. Uh, the team looking over it internally, making sure they're comfortable with all of the assumptions, the outside you know, QPs and consultants put in. Um, but we are moving the project forward. We are obviously anticipating a positive pre-feasibility study. Uh, we've got a pretty aggressive program in Wyoming right now this summer, uh, drilling you know up to 40 holes for metallurgy, geotechnical, hydrology, and of course, resource expansion. So all of that drilling will be combined with additional studies to get us towards a full bankable feasibility study. And I think with the drilling, probably the assays, the assay labs, Trevor, have been a little delayed, as you probably know. Mm -hmm. So maybe the assays start to come in towards the end of the year, first quarter of next year. So probably by the end of first quarter 2022, we could have the full bankable feasibility study done and file the mine plan permit. So how much money do we really have you know, looking today, probably in real time, I don't know, 11, $12 million, somewhere in that range. We think this is pretty good for probably the next 12 months or so. Once we spend, you know, for the exploration um, expenditures in Wyoming for the feasibility study, we'll be in pretty good shape. We don't have really any exploration plans over the over the winter. You know, all of our projects get weather and get snowed up. So we'll just go into GNA mode there. And we're also very, very confident that when our pre-feasibility study comes out, 
uh, sometime here in September, that, you know, that could be the catalyst for a lot of institutions we've been talking to. These guys have been watching the company. They've been sitting on the sidelines. They want to see this document out there and the numbers. And that might really give them, you know, the, uh, the reason to, to come into the stock. So if our equity could hedge significantly higher, you know, being on the NASDAQ, we have an effective shelf registration. So we can do an overnight deal. I think it's a $50 million shelf. We don't need $50 million. I mean, we're in good shape today, but taking down money uh, shouldn't be a problem in the future. I just think all of us would like to do it at potentially higher stock prices than here today. Yeah, that's right. That's why everybody raised money back in the fall, early fall last year when yeah. everything was wrong. Um, with the CK project, so otherwise known as Copper King, because being from Denver, this thing's literally like an hour and a half north of me in Cheyenne, around Cheyenne, Wyoming. Yeah. Um, you mentioned the PFS. And I just want to ask you, like, kind of laying, given some idea of like how conservative or how aggressive the company might be with this PFS using current metal prices. Um, I had written down something in my notes here where you were talking about going to George B, asking him to look at the CK project. And he, he said, now is the time uh, because of the market where they're at. And I guess, you know, you know, if the market's good now, how does the project look at lower prices? What if copper goes back down to three bucks a pound? What if gold comes back down 1500? You know, yeah. how does the project look then? Obviously not as good, but how do you, how do you, you know, how do you, how do you approach that in this PFS? Look, a couple of things to point out when the PEA, the preliminary economic assessment was done, Mine Development Associates did that in December of 2017. And if you go on our website, look at our presentation, the metal input prices MDA used then was 1275 gold and 280 copper. So it was a pretty conservative looking today, we're above $1,800 gold and you know, 430 copper. So, and the project with those input prices showed $178 million NPV and a 33% annualized IRR. Now those are all gonna change going into the PFS because even the, the mine plan assumptions are gonna change. We're increasing the throughput. And one big thing that has happened, Trevor, despite the federal government telling us in the Fed you know, that there's no inflation out there, I tell you what, there is a lot of inflation in building material prices. So when you look over the last couple of years, things like steel, rebar, concrete, lumber, those prices have gone up. So CapEx, going up, CapEx in our PEA was estimated 113 million. That number is going up. And I don't know exactly what it is, but it's certainly gonna be higher than that. So I, I think our, our outside consultants, we're using uh, Gustafson right now on the PFS. They're a member of WSP and they'll probably use 43101 guidelines, which I believe are like you know three years back, two year forward commodity prices. Even though we're US listed, this will be an SK1300 uh, technical report filing for us. But when you look at kind of the industry guidelines right now, you know, $1,600 gold, $3 copper, somewhere in that range. That's what I'm seeing other companies that have come out with on some technical reports recently. And I imagine, you know, those PFS input prices will be somewhere right around there. Yeah, I actually know. Are you working with the Gustafson Denver office by chance? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I know them well. 
I know. Yeah, that. yeah, yeah. Good guys. Uh, very good guys. Um, yeah. I, I, I want to take away, turn away from CK for a little bit because you did mention the other projects. You know, I've been following U.S. Gold long enough to remember where it felt like Keystone was the flagship project. Uh, earlier this summer, I, I did drive literally next to Maggie Creek and the drilling campaign must have just concluded because it was pretty quiet. And you kind of felt this company was sending sending all the focus to CK. Can you talk about yeah. why this continued transition over the years away from Keystone, uh, a little bit less focus from Maggie Creek and really full focus on CK? Yeah, and we are still as excited as ever with all three of our exploration projects. But I think with, with George B's addition as a mining engineer and real seasoned operator, you know, with the CK Gold Project in Wyoming, we know we have a bird in the hand. You know, mm -hmm. we know that the value is there. We have approximately, you know, 1.7, 1.8 million gold equivalent ounces in a deposit that looks potentially very economic. We know we can put it into production. And we also feel that the company is very, very undervalued. You know, our market cap today is around $67 million. Company with 12, 13 million in cash, you know, you're, you're talking a, what, a $55 million enterprise value and an asset with a $178 million NPV that potentially could go up into this PFS. That's why we've been spending a lot of time, energy, and money in Wyoming. We really think when this PFS comes out, the value will be realized for our shareholders. And as that happens, if we get up to a higher level, could allow us to potentially raise future money at a much less dilutive, higher level, then we could deploy you know, some more money into aggressive exploration campaigns at Keystone and Maggie Creek. And let me just touch on them briefly. You know, Keystone, district size uh, project, we've got 12,000 acres there, 20 square miles, 650 mining claims. We've been hard at work at Keystone for five years, started out with claim consolidation of the whole district. And you're exactly right. In the early days of U.S. Gold Corp., a lot of the focus was on Keystone. It looks extremely perspective. We're seeing, you know, all the signs that our northern neighbors, uh, Cortez Hills, Pipeline, Gold Rush, ET Blue, Four Mile Share. Very perspective. We've got great host rocks there, incredible looking upper plate, lower plate, wind band five all over the project. We've had uh, anomalous gold in every single drill hole. Uh, we've had incredible brecciation, alteration, pathfinders literally off the chart of arsenic, realgar, orpiment, stibnite. So this is a very, very perspective project with a great address. Now, the one thing about Keystone, it's expensive. I mean, these holes are deep. The geology is tough. That's a good thing. But we're drilling holes down to 2,000 feet or so. And when you're drilling core holes down to 2,000 feet, you know, all in, when you start looking at you know, drilling costs, assays, permitting, et cetera. You know, those are two hundred and dollars to $300,000 a shot. And Keystone's a big, big project. So it needs a fairly robust program. We really do believe there are a couple big world-class deposits just lurking in the shadows. And we're very, very close. So we do want to get at it. But like every junior exploration company, 
our treasury is not infinite. You know, cash is very, very precious. And it's always a, a choice. Are we going to spend some money up in Wyoming trying to advance uh, the CK Gold project towards production? If we get that into production, we'll have incredible potential revenue and cash flow to fund our future Keystone, Maggie Creek, and Chalice exploration plans. So we've been just kind of um, analyzing still, looking at it. We put out a press release on Keystone as well, Trevor, that we've had some major interest from um, some big potential industry insiders. And I think this is just due to the results we've had to date and the address. So we've been in, George B has been in some close negotiations with them. So keep an eye on the future press releases. If anything happens, we'll certainly let you know. Very pivoting good. quickly, pivoting to uh, to Maggie, <laughs> oh, yeah. to Maggie <laughs> uh, pivoting to Maggie Creek, just to give you an update there. Um, you know, Maggie Creek, great claims, again, very strategic, located right next door uh, to Gold Quarry. So you drove right past it. Um, we drilled two holes there June of this year on our southern claim boundary. And this was to test the thesis of a target potential target we put together through analyzing historic drilling, geophysics. We did a complete um, gravity survey over the whole district there last year and drilled two holes. And the key takeaway there is um, most of the ounces on the Carlin trend are hosted in the big deposits. They're in lower plate rock called the Popovich Formation. A lot of the geos thought that the Popovich formation on our claims were really deep. There's no way we would hit it. Well, we hit the key Popovich formation at 1,700 feet. It was a lot shallower than anyone thought. And the core looked amazing. We put out uh, some pictures of that in our press release, that real sooty sulfide, you know, black, dark core. We saw incredible looking arsenic. Again, the Realgar, Orpiment, Stibnite. So these are all indications we could be right on the edge of something significant. And I'll tell you, Trevor, after we put out that press release, some of the biggest major industry insiders emailed us and said, wow, can we go under NDA with you guys? We want to get in your technical data room. We want to physically go look at that core. And that is one heck of a endorsement, you know, of those drill holes. Yeah. It was not a major discovery yet, but I think we're right on the edge of something significant there at Maggie Creek. Uh Ed, I know uh, we, we're only scheduled for like a few more minutes. Do you have a few extra minutes after that, or do you, are you on a tight? I, I have plenty of time. Trevor. Okay, I love okay, talking to okay. Because I do want to. I, I it, 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 there's a ton of information here about the company, but I also want to get your kind of macro thoughts here with precious metals because I know you have a few opinions about this. Yeah. Uh, just a few. It's an interesting time here with gold, it, it, like definitely with precious metals. So I was wondering if I can get your thoughts on the big picture here, because the last couple of days, ever since Friday in the Jackson Hole speech by Jerome Powell, the metals and the miners have had a reaction and it seems positive. It's been small, but people that, you know, go through this stuff with a, you know, fine tooth comb can find some silver lining here. Gold had a big move. Silver finally is starting. If you can, admit it outperformed gold after not doing so for a long time and the miners from the majors to the mid tiers are also starting to get a bit after just a brutal sell-off the last couple of months it, are you comfortable saying like we're gonna get a nice recoverable bounce here or, or do you need to see more uh you know more technicals that confirm 
the bounce to say we're moving we're moving up again yeah i'm i'm very positive to tell you the truth it's been a real tough difficult last three months this summer was brutal especially for the equities you know the gold price actually held in halfway decent glad to see we're back above 1800 now after jerome powell's you know jackson hole virtual address and why you, you look at his virtual address all he's talking about is cutting back on asset purchases you know the taper they're not talking the fed yet about raising interest rates at all so they're probably going to keep interest rates lower longer than the market or people expect and inflationary pressures are going to build i think he's going to really i think they're already behind the eight ball you know the fed with their targeted two and a half percent inflation inflation's currently three two if you believe the government statistics probably a lot higher you know if you look at shadow stats or other places and i really think gold will continue to catch a bid it's not going to be a hundred two hundred dollar an ounce you know big spike I had kind of thought on that Afghanistan retreat, you know, maybe a little geopolitical risk there, um, the big bombing at the airport, maybe gold would have spiked and, and it didn't. So it also seems like we got a little seller in the US markets, we're getting a little, a little pop, you know, in Asia into Europe, and then they tend to bang it down into the, into the US session. So, you know, but I'm very positive. I think that gold here at 1800, I'm on record saying, I think we're going to be the end of this year around 2000. Um, I really do. And I think the big fireworks are going to be next year. As we go into 2022, I think gold's really going to move. So will silver. You know, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see 2000 to 3000 next year. Um, it's only a 33% move. You know, silver, I think above $40 next year. And as that happens, that rising tide will lift all boats and this sector will really start taking off. The sector's in great shape now. If you look at the big miners and the majors, as you know, they've got cash flow. Um, they're printing money here at $1,800 an ounce. The, the global AISC is around, you know, $1,100. So mining companies are making money, uh, making good money. And I think we'll start to see another wave of mergers and acquisitions. You know, th that'll give some fuel to the fire here. And I really believe this sector has been pretty beat up, but we could get a pretty good rally going into this fall. The one headwind that we've always had against us has been the S&P, the NASDAQ, you know, marching to new highs every single day. And this liquidity driven market, it really has been flowing into the big growth stocks, the big tech stocks. But Trevor, be careful. The first thing that goes in a market is not price, it's liquidity. So all your listeners should go out there and look. Liquidity, guys, is drying up. Look at any of your names, you know, and it's not just August because we're all on the beach on holiday. Now it's first of September. People are getting back to work, back to the desk, back to school, and liquidity is drying up. I mean, this is a this is a sign that maybe we're going to have a little, you know, stormy sailing in September, October for the general equity market. And if that does, if the Nasdaq S and P pull down five to ten percent, I think you could really see gold get a get a nice, you know, flight to safety sort of rally, and the junior sector really get a good bump. So I'm very encouraged. I think it's a great time to be having that shopping list and uh, building positions right now. How do you feel about the uh, the idea of us being in a stagflationary type of environment where we continue to have higher inflation yet lower growth? How does that affect the precious metals complex? Yeah, I, I think we're there. I think we are in 
stagflation. I think the only growth we've had has been very artificial, you know, through massive quantitative easing. And, you know, real growth really only comes from productivity not from giving people extra money and helicopter money and unemployment benefits or extending, um, you know, evicting people or whatever it is. Uh, economic growth comes through building things, selling things, productivity. And so it's really starting to slow down now. And we're seeing all across the world, you know, spikes in Delta, um, the COVID uh, uh, virus coming back pretty aggressively. Europe has just now put a travel ban back on U.S. citizens. So that's going to cause, you know, a further little bit of a global downturn. And all of these things are related. When you look at China, wow, they're really slowing down, you know, very, very much. And they're focusing domestically instead of that big international export engine. So I think we're in stagflation right now. And as more people start to realize that, ultimately you need to maintain purchasing power parity because your wages aren't really gonna go up in that sort of environment. Costs are going to go up. Education, healthcare, housing, you know, whatever it is, going out to a restaurant, go look, all those costs are going up. So people need to protect their purchasing power. And metals like gold and silver have done that for thousands of years. So they tend to perform very, very well in stagflationary environments. What's your thoughts on the general metals market here? If we take away, step away from precious metals more into the commodity side of, of metals, you know, aluminum's... <laughs> moving higher, tin's moving higher, copper continues to have a bounce. I think except I saw, I think it's down today, but still very strong. Um, you know, nickel, zinc, they're all performing very, very well in this inflationary environment. Do you see this continuing or do you see maybe the, the demand because of lack of growth just starts to uh, kind of chip away at those prices? I think it does continue. And, you know, when you look at the industrial metals and, you know, things like the electrification of the whole planet, we're going to need a lot more copper. We're going to need a lot more nickel, a lot more tin for all of the not only electric vehicles, but, you know, maybe uh, windmills and solar farms and other things that that they want to move forward, trying to get the, the global carbon footprint down. And I think that, you know, when you look at a lot of these industrial metals, um, suppliers uh, around the world and even manufacturers, you know, they, they are overwhelmed still right now with demand. You've got huge long lead times and uh, they need to get these critical raw materials just to build the products to ship them out. So I don't know if we're really going to go back um, to prior sort of prices. I think that these higher inflationary conditions could be here for a while. And if you're building an electric vehicle and your sales are booming and you need to deliver that vehicle, do you really care if copper is $4.36 a pound or $6 a pound? You're gonna buy it. You know, you're gonna buy it no matter what, because it's just a little incremental cost. You'll probably pass that price increase onto the final consumer. And those are the people that are ultimately gonna have to end up paying it. But I think a lot of these increases, you know, the Fed with their transitory inflationary guidelines, I don't see it being transitory. You know, I see it being transitory to higher inflation. And so three and a half percent inflation might become four and a half or five. I'm not a gloom and doomer. I don't see hyperinflation, but 
you know, if you're running four or 5% inflation, wow, that erodes your purchasing power parity very, very quickly over time. And inflation is the ultimate stealth tax on all of us, you know, but it's the only way a lot of these indebted nations can have any hope of, you know, staying alive and ultimately trying to pay down their debts is through higher inflationary prices. Ed, I promise I'll let you go now. Thanks for thanks for giving us the extra time here uh, over a lot of so I apologize about that and uh, but thanks for thanks for letting us do this. No problem, Trevor. Really appreciate it. You know, yeah. really appreciate the interest. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a good conversation all around. That's Ed Carr. He is the founder of U.S. Gold Corp. and they trade on the Nasdaq with USAU. We'll be back here after a while with some more market commentary. Everybody, stay tuned. The information presented should not be considered investment advice. Mining Stock Daily and its affiliates are not responsible for any loss arising from any investment decision in connection with the material presented herein. Please do your own research or speak to a licensed financial representative before making any investment decision.